the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. This episode, Arakai and I discuss self-pleasuring and self-pleasuring as a daily ritual. I felt instinctually drawn to having and sharing this conversation, though to be honest, being candid about my own sexuality in a public way revealed to me a lot of layers that I have of conditioning and even shame to not express this part of myself outside of my intimate relations. And even so, and with even the actual shyness that I have in sharing this podcast episode, I also can be honest with myself in the knowledge that sexuality and eroticism has long been one of my deepest core values. So is magic and enchantment, which are definitely aspects of myself that I'm more overt in sharing as part of my online presence. In the process of really owning my core values, I've had many journeys and initiations Those of you who know my story well from the early two episodes on this podcast, perhaps, know that I went through some stuff to claim magic and mysticism as part of my birthright. Sexuality has been similar. I've had a really strong desire nature from a young age, and that had been difficult for me. I've had some ecstatic loverships and also the really deep heartache of a relationship ending and having attached so much of myself and my sexuality to that relationship, and then having these drawn out winter grieving seasons that actually brought me to study Tantra because I wanted a way back into those feeling states that was my own and not dependent upon another person. And here our conversation comes to self-pleasure. My life has been full of encounters of women, whether it was myself or others, glowing in their excitement of talking about erotic experiences and other women being sparked by it and lit up by it. And so I just want to trust that by sharing this conversation, it may empower other women. Of course, I know I have listeners on this podcast of all genders, so I trust that if this episode is for you, you'll find what is valuable. We recorded this episode just before Venus stationed retrograde in Gemini, And I'm now releasing it and recording this intro just after Venus has stationed. And I really see Venus retrograde as an internal Venus. And I can't think of a better metaphor for that than self-pleasuring. You may recognize Arakai. We had a two-part episode on this podcast about the Taurus-Scorpio axis as a tantric axis, and that was episode 31 and 32, which to this day are some of my favorite episodes on this podcast. Arakai is one of my very best friends. I love her dearly, and I so often feel ecstatic around her, and I'm so grateful that we found each other in this life. And I'm so excited to keep collaborating with her. I hope that you enjoy our conversation. I am so excited to have Arakai Moon here with me again. We had an amazing conversation about the Taurus Scorpio axis. And we're actually talking about a very similar thing today, but in a more applied way, which people will understand in just a moment. So we've been having um, some conversations and got to talking about self-pleasure practices and the concept of self-pleasuring every day. And this was at the trail end of a synchronicity where I got a tarot reading a little bit ago, not too long ago, where my friend says to me, wide open eyes, like, you need to self-pleasure every day and make love with interdimensional cosmic beings and orgasm out through your third eye. (laughs) And then I had two other astrology readings not too long after where the readers hinted uh, or pointed at something about my sexuality in the readings. And so there was this synchronicity of these oracles telling me basically to self-pleasure every day. And then it came up in conversation that you do. And at that moment, I just had a a decisive moment of like, I'm going to do it. And I do have a relationship with self-pleasure. And 
um, but not every day. And in the time since I made that decision, my life has radically changed. I have this, I feel like I've become a little bit evangelical whenever I do something that I think is amazing, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, everyone should know about this. And um, it's an interesting like proposition to myself and to ourselves that we're here to like have a candid conversation about uh, self-sexual relationship, but there's something that feels really important and liberating and magical about it. So we wanted to have this really interesting conversation. And um, I think that there's more I could say about where I'm at with it. And maybe we can circle back around to that, but I want to turn it over to you and just ask you um, about your relationship with self-pleasure and how you came to have a relationship with it in the way that you do and what you feel is so important about it. Yes, I'd love it. And I love your evangelical side. <laughs> like Aries paired with like the Sagittarian quality. It's just like, we want to shout it from a mountain and like anything that gives us fire and yeah, is magical for us. It's like so worth um, shouting about and in such an, a way of invitation and not dogma is, is my, um, is my goal in that. Um, and, and, and it's interesting because I do feel like I have that kind of quality of, and, and heart desire to, to shout things out and to really rally people up for the things that could make life that much more magical, you know? Um, but, self-pleasuring and making love to myself has been something that like I didn't speak about or admit even to myself. I didn't admit it till I was in my early twenties. I was so conditioned that self-pleasuring was so wrong and that you're cheating on your future husband. Um, because I was raised evangelical Christian actually. And, um, where they speak about every kiss or every, um, anything that you give your heart or your body to, um, is taking from your future husband. That's basically what they teach. And, um, that's a really interesting way, um, to frame it for, for a, a girl growing up, I think. And, and for me, and, and it kind of puts it in this almost scarcity. Like we only have certain amount to give certain amount to experience and, and then we'll be impure or wasted by the time we're older. Um, however, s there was still some magical like way that I was able to find my yoni <laughs> at six years old and begin the practice of making love to myself every morning and every night from six years old on. And I somehow kept it pure and, and kept it secret, but also I just always entered into this really beautiful state within it. So it somehow, somehow stayed protected. And I, I feel really grateful for that. Um, and only recently have I been realizing like how much like how much can be shared and invited for people to have a, a deeper relationship with not only their own sexuality and their body, but especially to spirit and especially to the way that they connect to the divine and to the way that they, you know, do like clearings for themselves energetically. And I just think that that's been one of my practices that is like heightened my psychic abilities and allowed me to develop, you know, masterful skills around being able to, um, navigate my energetic field and, and also open me to this like window of my own soul, you know? So it's like the most amazing thing. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to share it. And it That's just seems beautiful. Yeah. I, I discovered self-pleasuring when I was 12. I just instinctually found it and knew how to bring myself to orgasm. And what I have tracked though, is that even though I knew how to orgasm, I had these lovers at certain points in my life where I would have a sexual awakening with another person. Like I would reach a new 
frontier of feeling or experience or eroticism. And because the person was the one who brought it into my experience, I had a way of associating it with them. And, you know, then power struggles began because what was really happening was I was encountering an aspect within myself that another person had catalyzed, sure enough, but that it also was my own. Mm -hmm. And I actually would have times in my life where I was afraid that like the best sex of my life was in the past. I was like, that's it. That person was a sex god. Like it's never happening like that again. And I really had those kinds of fears. And that's what got me into Tantra actually was feeling like at a logical level or at a bigger picture spiritual level, I really wanted to believe that that wasn't true. And that there was actually, you know, I had an astrologer tell me when I was heartbroken and just devastated about a lover. Um, she was like, I think that there's some mysteries about your sexuality that you just haven't discovered yet. And it was a really wise thing to say. And when it always stuck with me, cause I was like, what mysteries is she talking about? Right. And in this, um, you know, these time periods in my life where I've had like a really exciting lovership, I've felt like I'm in full bloom and I just feel super alive and like I have all the energy and all the love to give and I'm just so full of life. And I I started to study Tantra and like different self-pleasuring techniques and breath work um, to learn how to you know, give myself those kinds of experiences or to have new experiences through that education that weren't attached to another person. Right. But it's actually just been in this period of time where I decided to self-pleasure every day where I'm having this like really fun cosmic sexual relationship with myself where I'm like having visions and having oracular experiences and having healings and like experiencing alternate timelines and just having this like this encounter that feels like I'm falling in love right but it's not with another person it's actually just with myself and with the whole environment around me I'm happier I have more energy I feel more confident I have less body image issues um I actually track that the way that I look in the mirror after self-pleasuring as well as after sex, like I love how I look in that. And it's like, I feel like, oh, this is my true self. This is my true identity. And it's actually, I think it's taken me a certain level of maturity or development to even know how to contain this energy. Because I definitely have like flown off the handle a little bit (laughs) when I was younger, just like getting so full of like, this kind of energy that I didn't even know what to do with it. Mm. Um, And just also growing up in an environment where it feels like, you know, and I'm not the only one who has this experience, but it feels like there's forces converging upon you from every direction that are like, don't have an amazing sexual experience. You're too young. You don't know what you're doing. Like you could get hurt. You could get Mm. a disease. You could die. Like all these pressures that are saying not to do this one thing. Horses. Yeah, this one thing that's like so innately part of you. So I'm having this like really deep healing experience, and my life is going more juicily, and it's like easier, and it's more fun and lavish. And I'm just happy to be at this place. And it's interesting because I don't necessarily think I could have just arrived here overnight. I think that it's been the accumulation of my life experiences and my lovership experiences and my Tantra education experiences, but there's just this final moment that I'm in that I'm celebrating of Mm -hmm. having like the best sex of my life with myself. And I never like, I've heard other women talk about that. I just never really imagined that. You know, I always was like, but no, I want it to be with someone else. I I almost just want to pause. What? Like, can we just pause and and have you say that one more time? (laughs) Like that you're having the best sex of your life. I'm having the best. You're having the best sex of your life. Yeah, with (laughs) self. That's it's delicious, and we're celebrating. Mm. Celebrating on this podcast. (laughs) The funny thing is too, that like when I do connect with my own erotic energy, like it just 
there's like a shamelessness about it or a sense of like becoming more bold or becoming more of oneself or like claiming your inheritance of who you are. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned that because lately unapologetic has been like my favorite word coming through because sometimes I do feel actually quite apologetic, like wanting to harmonize and wanting to, you know, build the bridge of connection and understanding with people and on and on. And yet unapologetic feels like this really powerful way where it's like we can reclaim ourselves. And I think that in this time when we're liberating, you know, I've always been about liberating the the rivers and, you know, undamming and and letting the fire of the feminine and the wild psychedelic nature of of nature herself be free. And yet the women we've constricted ourselves so much. And, and I think a form of patriarchy is that, that control over the fire of the feminine of over pleasure, over letting the Shakti unfold and in her fullness. And I think that women as well as men and, and, and all genders really are, we have that fear and that, um, those threads of patriarchy woven into us all where we oppress others, but we internalize that oppression. And so I think in like liberating ourselves in our creativity and in our sexuality is like the root of being able to be like, this is worth freeing. This is the best ancestral healing we can do. This is the, this is the best karmic unfolding and, and unraveling that we can do. I think is touching ourselves at our root and really healing our senses of worthiness and, and scarcity. I feel like that's so much of where our patterns in relationships and our patterns with the environment come in is feeling scarcity. And I love that you mentioned the thing about um, what you were saying about attaching it to a lover, like attaching that, that portal of the divine, almost like that portal of your, of connection of your own, you know, sexual and spiritual power in a sense with the external person that comes in. And it's like, if we are able to experience and surrender to experience that with a a lover, but not attached to them is like, that's, that's the the sweet spot, you know? Right. And I think too, it's like, Um, we spoke last about the Taurus Scorpio axis and there's a way that, you know, Taurus is going to be our relationship with ourself and it is fertilized or stimulated by our connections and how we merge. But I think that the cultural context, which we hold sexuality within, I just feel like growing up, I, I was prepared with knowledge that sexuality was emotional and physically pleasurable, not necessarily that it was an opening to spiritual awakening or, you know, other realms or profound inner realization and healing. Like, and I feel that there is maybe a role of like sexual initiation or like good education that allows people to connect with that aspect of themselves. Absolutely. I'm almost seeing too, just, you know, the, the work of, of Carl Jung and the, and the work on the consciousness of how we can see the inner mythos of our own psyche projected internally and externally, like in every aspect. But I feel like sexuality is that extreme portal where, where our deepest soul's desires and longings reside. And that is like the place where we reach outside of ourselves, where we lose our power, but also where we can find ourselves, you know? Yeah. And I think it's so beautiful, the Taurus Scorpio axes. It is the tantric axes, you know? It is this journey between like healing the self and knowing that, you know, you're sovereign pillar in Taurus and knowing that you're unconditionally loving and unconditionally worthy, but also surrendering into Scorpio to, to, to merge with another. And I think what's so powerful about reclaiming this sexual pleasure and then opening it up to that spiritual dimension is that Scorpio oftentimes loses itself because it, it gives that 
it finds its power and its portal and its deep connection that it longs for inside of, of another and then it attaches to it. And if we are able to source that from within and open it to the divine and we have many portals, then it's like that moment that we have with ourself also simultaneously brings in usually like the the physical embodiment of whatever initiation that the universe and our our soul, our psyche is asking for. You know, it's really interesting to me. I've I've been making love to these interdimensional beings for you know pretty much my whole life. They always were never fully human. And they were always part jaguar, part serpent, or part dragon, and part star or something. And 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 I was always going into these magical realms. But the people that I fell in love with and I had these great initiations in real life and physical form, they always came in to and and almost matched. You know, it's like they resembled the codes or the realms of of those beings that I was engaging with in that time. And so I think that that's also something very beautiful that it's like we can manifest the people in our life that hold those codes that we're, that we're in a sense in a relationship and getting, and getting initiated by. And I think that the tricky part is that sometimes we then want to hold on to it. Like, you know, I've been saying it's like we get attached to it and we want that physical thing. But it's like, for me, if I've open to having it physically and, and seeing it inside of another person, but I still maintain my devotion to the spiritual part of that, to my own self and to my own relationship to the plant or to the serpent or to, you know, just whatever spiritual being is also giving me that transmission and taking me there. It, it helps me not fully invest into that person being the only pillar or the only portal at which I access that, that dimension, you know? Yeah. Oh, there's so much in that. Um, something that I'm curious about is describing more like how to contact other beings. Like how do you know who you want to make love to who's, you know, versus, um, and we've talked about this before, and we even talked about it on our last podcast, but versus sending one sexual energy to particular people. And like, that's not something that people really talk about that much, but if you're sensitive or if you're aware of like astral plane energy, like sending your energy to a particular person is just because it's happening in one's fantasy doesn't mean it's not necessarily happening over translation and reaching the other person in some way. So how, like, what's the process of courtship and interacting with these beings, these interdimensional beings versus uh, sexual energy that's happening on a psychic level between people? That's the most beautiful and profound question. I'm so glad you asked it. And I love that you mentioned courting because that's, that is the exact like process and word that I feel touches the part of, of my heart that is like, I, I want to be in a relationship with these beings. And I'm, I think that there's a difference when we're, you know, sometimes there's, you know, a relationship to, um, pornography or shame or disassociation woven inside of, um, people's sexuality sometimes. And that can be, um, kind of an energy that causes people to just get what they want or just lose themselves inside of lust and, and kind of feed their flesh in a sense or feed something that makes them receive something very fast and then kind of be done with it. And I feel like when we're reaching for things like that, um, we kind of miss the subtleties of consent and, um, integrity and, um, courtship. And I think that the plants, when we're you know, partaking of the plants, they want to be courted, you know, instead of just taking ayahuasca immediately. And it's like, it's like you're making love to that, that consciousness. And so to me, it's like, there's, there's certain levels inside of our body and our spirit that need to be prepared to open, to receive this transmission. And then there's also the part of us that needs to prepare ourselves and ask for permission that that being is going to weave their consciousness with our consciousness. And we're going to 
actually transform one another in that merging. And so the consent and the caretaking to every, you know, step of the way I think is so important. And, you know, it's, it's, if I just reach out to these beings like, Ooh, you're sexy Jaguar woman, like make love to me right now. I feel like that's missing so much of like, who are you? Where are you from? Like, what part of me are you trying to reveal? You know, like what, what codes are you actually trying to give me and, and how can I best honor and tend them, you know? And, and I think that having that kind of framework and just starting with that intention is a really big key. Um, for me, I think the intention is really important to get clear with, like, what what are we connecting to? Why are we connecting to it? What inside of ourselves is reaching, is longing, and how are we going to take responsibility and and ownership of that? And how then are we going to tend the seeds of that? And I think that you know, in a practical way, how I like to start out with is just if I'm starting in ceremony, as well as if I'm making love to myself, I like to drop into my own self and my own intention. And then I like to ask, you know, what am I needing right now? Like what, what part of my soul, what part of spirit is, is wanting to give me a message or is wanting to engage with me, is wanting, you know, to give me, you know, an energetic or spiritual healing in a sense. Um, that is in alignment with my highest because when we open these portals in ceremony or especially with making love to ourselves, like we can connect to a lot of interdimensional beings. We can collect to um, parts of the collective consciousness. That's why pornography is actually such a huge um, thing because I mean, of course it's, it's to sex, but there's a lot of people watching something and they're all feeding their sexual energy into it, which makes it bigger and more powerful. And so when we tap into that collective um, being or entity, whatever you'd like to call it, um, we can get fed by that energy, but we also give our energy to it. And so I think that when we're using our sexual energy and growing it and feeding it and, and connecting with another source, we want to be really clear what's feeding us and what we're feeding um, mm. so that it actually is yeah. in alignment with our highest. Um, That's because it can... I feel, I just, sorry, that's such an important point because I feel that when sexuality is approached as a purely like physical or, in, you know, whatever kind of thing, and we're not looking into the subtleties of energy exchange, we're not really asking that question of what am I feeding from and what am I feeding and like what's the give and take here and is this a mutually enhancing exchange is this a consensual exchange or is this extractive or uh, diminishing in some way right and I think that's the part that really keeps the Scorpio component that desires that longs that longs to merge for power for connection in check because you know if we're making love to you know, an interdimensional being or, you know, the, the person that we're engaging with, with flirtatious energy or something, it's like, we're going to be affecting their field. We're going to be affecting that being's consciousness in a way. And if we're just doing it to get power, if we're just doing it to get off, if we're just doing it to feel connected and then get, get, get over it in a sense, um, then, then we're essentially feeding the same energy of, of addiction and, and, I think that that's, you know, why sexuality has been contorted into the way that it has, you know, there's the shame component that then makes it dark and contorted and then it, and then it gets fractured from oneself. And then that is what causes addiction It's like the need for connection causes this, this contortion and this energy leakage in a sense. And I think that if we bring consciousness and love to it and real accountability of like, oh, okay, maybe that person was flirting with me and I want to reach out and I want to like feel sexual energy and I'm going to go for it. But how are they ready? Is every part of them really wanting to engage with me? Do they have a partner? How is that affecting their sexual container with their partner? Um, are they wanting to, you know, share in that way? And I tell, I, I just actually imagine the person standing in front of me before I send my energy 
sometimes I do it on accident. I'll just send my energy and I'll start feeling and getting all turned on, but then I'll stop myself and I'll be like, Oh, whoa, I'm sorry. Stand in front of them and ask them directly. Like, are you willing and and wanting to engage with me and share the sexual energy? And I, I often feel that I receive a confirmation or a denial. Like I can feel the parts of them even that are hesitant, the parts of them that are a full yes, the parts of them that are absolute no. Um, I think that I I can feel those. And I think that that's also just like a a part of us where we have to be in that that journey of um, listening and honing in our own skills of how well we can connect and um, how how real we can listen, you know, because if we're not willing to listen to the subtle parts that are like, oh no, I'm not quite ready for this or no, I want you and I have a partner. So it's not healthy. You know, it's like listening to those parts as a, a little bit of a no is still a no and a deeper way and a deeper place to pause. It's funny, actually, like I had, um, a particular lover who, um, I was doing like self pleasure, like healing practices on myself. And I was seeking to heal this trauma that I had had. And I made this prayer to the universe to send me a lover to help me heal it. It was just like a, that's what I knew what to wish for. And I literally felt my crown chakra open up and a beam of light go up to the sky. Like I'd never experienced something like that before. And I felt that something was definitely going to happen. And I knew what I was seeking. I knew what kind of lovership I was seeking. And at that point, I was wondering, well, who is it? And I had met someone at a party. And I was planning on reaching out to him and courting him basically. And before I even had the chance to, he sent me a message and invited me to something. And there was this, you know, mutual magnetism between us. Like we both knew what was happening, but we even had met on the astral plane before we had ever connected sexually in this plane of reality. And we were just straight up having sex in a dream. And I kind of came to in the dream and I was like, wait a minute, we haven't talked about this yet. (laughs) And then, you know, we ended up having a relationship here, like on this plane, but throughout our relationship, there was always that kind of psychic connection. And it really, um, it was an initiation of a certain kind because I hadn't, it was more of a loud kind of psychic connection that I ever had, but I didn't necessarily have the tools for knowing how to handle it. And I actually became pretty cautious after that experience of mm-hmm. like, I don't send my energy at people if, you know, I think about people and people are on my mind, but I don't like close my eyes and like send a laser <laughs> of like intention towards someone because I, I trust that they'll feel it and right. I'd rather just call them and have a conversation of like, is this, you know, like have it on this plane. Yeah. Um, because if it's someone else who's psychic, they'll know, right? Absolutely. And if it's someone who's not psychic, I mean, I just don't want to mess with people that way. And I think that people on every level like are psychic, but it's a really interesting kind of confusing territory because it's how do we know the difference between when energy is actually being exchanged through someone's will versus when it's, we just had a sex dream and it's our own psyche. Right. I mean, I think that's a great question. And I I think that it's, you know, it's, it takes a lifetime of, of, of discipleship in my opinion. It's like, it's like a masterful journey of how do we navigate the, I mean, it's, it's enough to navigate our interrelational dynamics and our power dynamics and our deep desires and motives and how that impacts people in this physical plane, but as well as being able to be conscious about the other dimensions of reality and how that's impacting people. And I think that that's the scorpionic layer of reality is like when we can really look under the surface, when we can really get clear with the intentions and the undercurrents and the sexual energy that's, that's fueling everything really. And I think that 
just even bringing this up and allowing it to be a more cultural conversation is, is probably one of my biggest passions in life because I think that we've made ourselves, you know, very stunted in the realms of Scorpio because we've not been able to speak to the subconscious or to the psychic or energetic realms as much. And so it makes it to where, you know, especially dynamics with men and women or, um, you know, people that are engaging in, in sexuality or flirtations or, um, that are engaging with, um, different power dynamics inside of, um, relationships, sometimes we don't speak to the things that are unseen or unspoken and, and that are, that are kind of fueling the, the dynamics of the relationship essentially. And, um, I guess what I'm saying in a, in a long way is that, um, for me, it's, it's safer to open the prayer up and the intention up to spirit to bring the being or the person in real life that like you did, you made that prayer and the person came and then it was like, you could then enter into a verbal and physical, you know, consensual um, agreement field. Because I think that we have to allow ourselves to co-create with the other person, um, whether it's energetically or whether it's physically. But I think that a lot of times we leave these sexual things unspoken and, and we actually leave them more in the energetic realm. And so the more that we can actually be responsible and communicated and, and bring it up to the surface, the better that we're going to allow ourselves to be courted and the, and own our own boundaries and needs and the better that other people are going to allow themselves to be courted and then also learn how to court. Um, I think that, engaging with people, um, psychically in the sexual dimension is, is a very sensitive place because I think that for me, I am psychic and, and I have felt very like sexually violated, um, almost like traumatized seeing the amount of, um, sexual energy coming towards me in different times. And especially when I'm opening with my lover or my partner, I feel like that when that sexual field is open, that's a lot of times where I receive psychic information. And so it's been really challenging for me when I have been with another woman who's, who's just extremely gorgeous. And, and so the energy of us two together was something that attracted so much energy that I didn't, I wasn't prepared for exactly, um, of how, sensitive that would be when opening sexually together. And so seeing, you know, both of us at different times would see each other turn into, you know, like some man that we had just met or somebody that was, you know, we were working for or something. Um, oftentimes it was men, but there's a few times it was also women. Um, and we would see each other shape shift into that. We would, um, you know, feel those energies coming in and, and, and really affecting the container of our relationship. And, and we had to, you know, learn together of like, okay, what does it mean? Like, what are we doing to open ourselves up to this? How can we speak to these people energetically? How can we also speak to them verbally? Um, this has happened with a lot of friends, but also a lot of clients. And I've actually just gotten more and more comfortable um, trusting my my intuition and my own, you know, psychic experiences. So I just start mentioning it to people and had a lot of people have, you know, very upfront conversations with me that they were in fact making love to themselves when I was receiving that, um, experience and they were thinking about those things or, you know, like there, there was parts of me that I represented that they were, you know, desiring and longing for. And so I just think being able to bring it up and, and verbally, speak my own boundaries and speak my own concerns and, and hold my sexual container, you know, in a sacred way. And, and also my partnership is, was a really healing and empowering way. And I also think that it really opened the communication up for my clients and also for my friends that I had these conversations with because they were oftentimes very shamed in their sexuality. And that's why they were, you know, kind of traveling in the energetics because they were too afraid to express it in real life. And, um, not saying that that's always the case, but a lot of times when people are afraid to express their feelings or their sexuality in real life, well, 
they'll, they'll want to travel and, and reach out and, and grab on somebody's energy and experience it that way because it's safer. And they also think it's just my fantasy. Nobody's experiencing it. And I so do it's really that's healing. one of the thought forms at play. And something that I think is interesting too, is just considering like, what is self-pleasure about? Like, is, is there a need to reach for a particular fantasy or one that is a mental concept of like, oh, this person's hot. It'll turn me on to think about them. And, you know, this is different, I suppose, if someone has like a crush or something. But um, that there's all these different things that can be brought into a self-pleasure experience that isn't necessarily about like sex. Like it could be um, some kind of healing or a vision or like receiving a message and these things can seem kind of like mundane. I've also noticed just like in my, my recent experience of having this more tantric relationship with myself that I'll ask at the beginning, like I'll open up for a question or, you know, what's this experience going to be instead of coming into it with a preconceived vision of what it's supposed to be, which I mean, maybe a thing too, if there's a particular like thing that I would want to try out, but in opening like that, I'll get these spontaneous visions and I like traveled through a different timeline and healed like a 12 year old version of myself and like literally went through this starry curtain and had this like vision that just came to me. Um, but I also, I've noticed that memories throughout the day surface, like weird stilted moments where something wasn't said or something felt kind of off and I just like forgive it and release it. So Mm -hmm. it's like a clearing of the field, like I think is how you've put it. Mm -hmm. And a deepening of compassion. I've found that like really opening up in that way, like allows for some kinds of healing. And so um, I think even just in this part of the process, you know, that I'm experiencing, there's a lot of compassion and a lot of forgiveness. And I've long like admired Tantra teachers and like, people that speak of these things and seem to have, you know, they embody like decades of Mm. embodiment and tantric experience and they've really worked through a lot of things. It's interesting that you brought up the, the shame aspect of it. Um, In astrology, like the eighth house and Scorpio uh, can be related to shame. And it's taken me a little bit to make the connection of why that is. But I think that like, Um, And I've learned a lot about that from you, actually, of why we feel shame if there's something that we desire so much, but then we don't have it. And what does that mean about us, that we're not worthy of being this person that we're dreaming of? And just like the, the way that we can get twisted up inside around those, you know, kind of things. And for me, even just as like my like first kind of like sexual awakening experience was when I was 12 and I didn't get to share it with anyone without that being illegal. And there was no one my age that was interested. I didn't know how to court people. So it made me feel like there was something wrong or like, but meanwhile, I was like running all this intense like chemistry. Um, But there's that sense of where do you put it? (laughs) And I feel like that's like, you know, maybe everyone has their particular way. And especially because of the way that our society is set up, like we're really not a sex positive culture. Right. So it's like everyone kind of has their, uh, their experience of how their sexual energy has been compacted or shut down. And the process of like embodiment or opening up one's sexual energy, there's going to be some layers probably that people are working through. So many layers. And it's also, in my experience, it's layers for my whole life. Like there's times where, you know, I'm in the most embodied and, you know, sensual and just self-loving, you know, place with myself and nature. And, and then there's other times where it's like, I'm dealing with shame and woundedness all over again, you know, and, and after a relationship or, you know, singing my, my body and my sexuality back to myself. Um, and so I, I think that there's, it's like the work never stops, but we get these different moments when we get a, 
we get a revel in it and we get a, you know, we get to really embody that rapturous experience and, and unfold in ourselves. But I think that the humbleness to be like, oh, okay, there's still more childhood or there's, there's a new sexual trauma. There's my boundaries been crossed again in this way, or, you know, it's, there's so many ways in which we can have trauma and, and have our boundaries crossed and have places of our self-worth as we age, even, you know, it's like different levels of initiation that we're going through. I think that we're always going to be dancing with that journey of are we doing it with ourselves and, and the other, you know, and are we able to balance and heal that Taurus archetype of like worthiness and, and, unconditional self-love and and bringing our physical into alignment or are we comparing ourselves? Are we needing this plastic surgery or this um, filter on our iPhone or this um, whatever, whatever, um, this home, this lover to be able to make us feel like we're a queen? Um, yeah, I just think that the Taurus Scorpio axes is like, the juice of life to me right now. <laughs> it is is the ultimate healing of what we're going through. And I think it's potent that we speak about it in this time of, of Venus preparing to go retrograde, you know, and, and she's going retrograde in Gemini. So it's just like, it's the Venus rules Taurus and she rules our sense of self-worth and, and our value system. And how does that really create the garden of our life, you know, and, and I think that Gemini is like our perceptions. And so it's a time, it's a perfect time for us to reevaluate our perceptions and reevaluate what information and what we learn and what lenses we try on. And I think also Gemini, it doesn't get spoken about a lot, but I think that for me, Gemini is such a bridge walker and a weaver mm -hmm. of worlds. And it doesn't, get spoken about the magic of Gemini enough, I think, but in that trickster and in that ability to try on the lenses and, and bridge the worlds and speak the different languages, I think that's extremely psychedelic and, and archetypal. And so I think that that's a real beautiful time actually to bring this kind of archetypal and spiritual musing into our sex, into our sense of self-worth and into our value system and how we really honor ourselves, you know? I love you making that connection. And also it's like Venus is stationing retrograde, right? Conjunct Vesta, who's a sex priestess. Yes. A different kind of priestess in different versions of the myth. Um, in like pre-patriarchal society, she's a sex priestess and she's like performing sexual sacred rites. And then in patriarchal society, she becomes like this yeah. temple virgin that has to keep the fires lit and makes a 30 year vow of chastity. And then after that, she can do whatever she wants basically. And mm -hmm. what's really interesting I find about Vesta um, in connection with that, in terms of how it manifests now archetypally, it's, I feel like she has such deep memory of ecstatic sexual experience. And truly like if we approach a lover and we have a mutual agreement that we're creating a container and we're going to have like a healing or an opening experience together. And it's, you know, the container set, there's agreements and there's a mutual recognition of the divinity in each other. Like that's magic inherently. And so those experiences can be so ecstatic that Vesta doesn't really have much of a taste for boring or lackluster or mundane sexual experiences or unfulfilling ones that she can just kind of be the virgin or virginal or having these like amazing sexual experiences. Um, so she has both of those in Gemini being the like multiplicity and all these different uh, facets of itself. I just think, um, yeah, that our conversation is very Vesta in nature. And then both of them are squaring Neptune. So, yeah, which also Pisces is, is the 
you know, it's it to me, Gemini and Pisces remind me so much of each other as like Gemini is weaving those worlds and everything, but Pisces is like fully merging into the cosmos and diving into, you know, everything. And I think that Vesta, I'm so glad that you mentioned her because I really do think that this is a powerful part of who's weaving this conversation and also just this uprising right now um, of us all really wanting to, yeah, to sing to that part of the sacred flame. And, and I love that you keep mentioning the word oracular as well, because the women that were oracling for the temple of Pythia for the, the serpent queen was the spirit of the earth. And they were always moving into a static orgasmic states just from, you know, the psychedelic fumes that were rising from the earth. And I just think that that's so beautiful. And then the patriarchal version of that, um, where I think also comes like Athena, the archetype of Athena and Medusa, which Athena cursed Medusa and like put her under and it was like cursed the feminine sexuality and made it dark and scary and evil and, and dangerous, something to be controlled, something to be shunned and held down. And, and then Athena is the virgin and, and there's this, this attachment to feminine patri- patriarchy, I think, that, that all of us tend to uphold, some more than others. But I think that that controlling of like, this is the way that spirituality looks. This is the way that you can share love and orgasm and and sexuality in an appropriate, pure way has been very um, rigid. And there's so much shame and, and structure and tradition and dogma around it. And I think with all of this energy in Capricorn, you know, with Pluto and Saturn and Jupiter bringing us through this, it's like, this is the time of the dismantling of patriarchy and the the dismantling of power systems and structures that are, that are suppressing that part of the, of the feminine sexuality or, or just mm-hmm. of sexuality, you know? Yeah. What that makes me think of is the way that, there's different approaches toward creating change. Like one can be to change the structures of society, change the laws, um, change the societal norms. And then there's the internal inner transformation that has this power, it ripples outward. And I think that each person, you know, the connection that a person has to their own erotic energy is like, that is a person's power. Right. And so there's, um, I, I'm always continually inspired by Audre Lorde's uses of the erotic. Um, and she speaks in that to the way that when, you know, there's this encouraged mediocrity of our society. And yet when you touch into the deepest value, the things that, you know, and I'm paraphrasing so much, but the things that are really deeply important and valuable to you, that it then raises the standard in your life. Like, you know, to what to aspire. And Mm -hmm. so I find that, um, I think that this reversal of realizing that self-pleasuring every day, instead of waiting for sexual magic to just happen or like, you know, enter my life through the external to cultivate it from within actually, uh, and that's kind of actually what the, I think the third astrology reader that in this synchronicity, she was like, you have, you know, I'm my moon's in Taurus. And she's like, the way that she analyzed this placement in my chart with how it's aspected, she's like, you're really like emotionally stubborn sometimes. Like you can be feeling bad and you just don't do anything about it. And she said, like, if you uh, are more proactive in entering pleasure states and being ecstatic that like, that's where your magic is. And when she said that, I felt super called out and seen because that is my experience. Like I have, um, when I'm feeling bad, I can just kind of sit in it. And I, ever since she told me that, and I think this is why like getting readings frequently, I'm such a fan of, because I think that they they turn things in the mind, they're stimulating and they create change in a positive way. Um, I started to be more proactive about creating good things for myself. And with 
I have a natural sense of discipline. It's not hard for me to start a habit and to keep a habit. So it's like, okay, I'll self-pleasure every day. And in this, you know, whether or not I'm exactly like turned on and it doesn't mean that I violate my own boundaries, but that I find a way to turn myself on. And then I'm in that space and then I have an ecstatic experience and then my perception of life changes. Um, There's been more synchronicity. There's been more magic. And I get a, a vision of who I like truly am basically like who I am when I'm most alive, what really matters to me. And then I have the energy to live in the world in a different way. And it's funny. It's like all along I've been, I've been a hard worker. I've been doing a lot of work for years towards my goals And I've had seasons of feeling particularly buoyant and uplifted by life and other seasons where I'm like just putting my head down and like doing the things, you know? And I think that erotic energy is actually, it's high frequency energy. It gives you the juice, the energy to do your works in the world, to be who you are. And it's, it's difficult to just trudge on and go on with life when you don't have that resource. And I find it really interesting that there's a path, a mystery path, I believe, for everyone to discover what brings them into that Garden of Eden, as we've called it, with uh, Taurus. Like what brings you into that garden where you are in touch with your pleasure and what really turns you on and what makes you alive. And continually rediscovering the entrance into that garden as it changes because it will. Oh my God. I just love how you said that. Continuously re-entering the garden of your own Eden. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for saying it like that. So this has been super electric. It's always amazing talking with you. Do you have any kind of last things that you want to impart to the listeners? Hmm, yeah. I think that mm, I, I just love that that last sentence of like really continuously courting your own gates, entering into the garden of your own Eden, and then being aware of what's entered your garden, you know, being able to address it anew every single time. And I think it's really beautiful that you mentioned like making love to yourself, even when you don't feel like it necessarily and it not being about crossing your own boundaries. But I would just like to encourage people that they can see it in a way of, of, of dancing with yourself, you know, like every single time it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit new, no matter where you are in your cycle, something is going to be changing who you're engaging with, what kind of day you had, like you said, different thoughts come up and, and different even just conversations that aren't sexual, but they're, they just aren't quite um, finished or in alignment with your field. I, I often hear people saying things to me that they have grievances about me or, or something, you know, or they have like questions for me. It's like, I'll hear people's thoughts more. And it's just a beautiful way to touch in with our field, I think, and be able to bring people into the, to the gate that we want. Because I think that when we're opening and we feel those things in our field so palpably, um, I think that that's a really good indication that they're in a very deep part of your gate and that you might want to address that because they might, there might be a more suitable gate for them to be in. And I think that that's a great way of just actually creating healthy boundaries on a daily basis for, for yourself with this practice. Um, that's what I feel like I'm lately. Um, I think the other just maybe a little bit of bullet points to touch on is just come with an intention. Be, be curious about exploring your desires, seeing what that is inside of yourself and how you can open to it. And then also how you can open to it externally, but not be attached to that external source of connection or power. And even when we are engaging with a lover or a partner, finding that that constant dance of ebb and flow, I think is really going to help us heal our attachment styles, help us heal our nervous systems, help us heal that balance between the individual sovereign freedom seeking part of us and the desire 
of merging connection union seeking part of us. You know, if we're, if we're daily engaging with ourself and, or with a lover, um, you know, giving containers for both of those on a daily basis or weekly basis, I think is really, um, just such a huge, um, way to, to help us really navigate that and, and, and bring that ebb and flow and that contraction and expansion into a more fluid space, which is going to give us so much more empowerment, I think, in our relationships and, and with our, our yeah, relationship with ourselves. Oh, and one other thing I want to say really quick is that this is kind of like a vulnerable little personal thing, but I've, I've never really lived. I've lived in the jungle for a long time and I never really had a lot of mirrors, but right now I have these like full length mirrors that are covering this jungle, like a jungle bungalow that I have. And I've been staring at myself in the mirror and like looking at every little component of like my eyes and my hips and my thighs and my just every part of my body really and like touching it and grabbing it and looking as if I'm staring at my lover. And it's because I'm a very visual person. I I often love and stare at anything that I'm in love with and just adore it, you know, shower it with like so much adoration. But when I'm with a lover, I end up getting really involved in how they look and how they feel and all the things. And so turning that gaze back onto myself and, and also pairing it with the making love and, and, you know, allowing that to bring me to spirit has been, it's been so healing. Um, yeah, it's like fast track to healing in, in something that might've taken, you know, some people years to recover from a breakup or from a loss, um, this deep. And I think that it's really helped me, um, fall in love with myself again, much faster. So just said, (laughs) and that's, um, that's powerful because mirror work, uh, I've heard of, you know, in terms of looking at yourself in the mirror and it could just even be like your face and saying nice things to yourself and noting the dialogue, the self-talk and realizing, would you talk to someone else that way? Oftentimes, no. And like what it would really mean to have a more loving gaze of self, but to do that in like a full body or erotic way is also a beautiful practice to bring up. Totally. So thank you for being uh, enthusiastically willing to talk about this topic on the podcast with me. Um, My pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. (laughs) (laughs) I loved speaking with Arakai and I always love talking with her. I appreciate and adore her so much. I wanted to presence again that it's Venus retrograde. It's Venus retrograde in Gemini. And I consider Venus retrogrades evolutions of the heart. And there can be quite a deepening of our love ethic or our love nature or getting really familiar with what our values are and what we desire in relationship. And so I think that these can be really beautiful time periods. And with it in Gemini, I think that there is something around absorbing and creating media, um, writing, reading, listening, all that, (laughs) all the Gemini things about love topics. We have quite a few episodes on this podcast about love. If you just scan, if you just scan the, um, the episode list on whatever podcast app you're listening to, And I think that it's important to pick up these perspectives um, because they can really inform us about our own relatedness. This is one of my uh, places of biggest engagement right now is studying relationship and relating and applying what I'm learning to all my relations. And it also just so happens that I'm in this season as well of really deepening my relationship with myself. And of course, I'm really excited about it. And I hope that there was something in this episode that was nourishing for you. 
and that you may be put in touch with just the right information or synchronicities that you need for your heart evolution this Venus retrograde should you desire to have one. You can catch my weekly forecasts on the blog at monarchastrology.com or on YouTube. My channel is Sabrina Monarch and I've just started creating video forecasts to go alongside these weekly forecasts that I've been writing. Um, You can find me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch and Twitter at Sabrina underscore Monarch. And I also do astrology readings. I love to read for you. I meditate on the chart from the perspective of Pluto and the lunar nodes to get a portrait of the soul and the soul's evolution, what you've brought into this life um, that you're still working on from prior lives, some patterns. And I love to provide insight that can really uh, reflect back to you some very deep inner knowing and also help you transform in ways that you are seeking and desiring. So if you have a pattern that just keeps repeating in your life and you want some change, that is what I love to work with the most, um, is using the insight and the, the depth language of astrology to provide some guidance on shifting some of those really deep patterns. And I also have a Kickstarter coming up in June. I will be announcing that further on the podcast, but there will be astrology readings and discounted tuition to my evolutionary astrology intensive. And I'm going to be crowdfunding the year ahead of content creation. So I would love to have your support on that. So I'll see you soon on another episode of this podcast. And I hope you have a beautiful week. Uh